raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Follow him on Twitter, at Jake L. Fisher. Jake, thank you so much for the time. How are you? Doing well. How are you? And we're doing well, Jake. But real quickly, before we get into the draft, we were asking before you came on about athletes you irrationally make excuses for. They're your favorite athlete ever. <laughs> there is zero objective stance you take because it's just all bias. Is there an athlete for you that comes to mind? Um, I'm a big Eagles fan, and for a while, you could tell me no wrong about Deshaun Jackson, and then he. Uh, take a little, took a little spill over the deep end, so I kind of had to get off that that uh, that corner. Okay, Deshaun Jackson is the guy. That's a good one. We've got some weird ones, and Deshaun Jackson is up there. But man, he was awesome. He would fly down the field, and so I like Deshaun Jackson being the first one that we can reference here. I do want to go to whether one of these guys can be that type of player for the Charlotte Hornets fans. Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller. It's going to be a race between these two for who is the number two overall pick for the Charlotte Hornets. A lot of mock drafts are pointing towards Brandon Miller, Jake. Is that how you see it as you start to dig deep covering the NBA? You know, I think any mock draft and any person outside of Charlotte, and even in Charlotte, who tells you they know what the Hornets are going to do, they're chumping the gun a little bit early here. Um, the Thompson Twins, I know, are in, were in there yesterday. I think they're still working out and visiting today. Um, they'll have both Brandon and Scoot in over the next couple of days. And I think after this franchise and their personnel get to figure out a little bit more about these guys up close, get to see them measure, um, get to interview them and have them in their building, have some meals with them, then I think we'll start to really have a true understanding. So anyone who's just slating Brandon Miller in it too, I think that's probably like at best guesswork at this moment. And we'll have to see as things get closer if that starts to change. Well, and Jake, one question I have. We've been covering the Hornets a lot, too, since we're obviously in the city. It seems national pundits have a hard time getting sources from the organization. Honestly, Jake, you're one of the guys that have been covering the Hornets and coming up with intel. That's correct for quite some time. It does feel like, I mean, it's true. I mean, everything else that we see, it's just so hard to feel like the Hornets actually leak anything out. How tough is it to crack into the code for the Hornets compared to other NBA franchises? Is this a franchise you feel like is pretty tight lipped for the most part? It's interesting. Every local fan base likes to think that their front office is the most ironclad and they're the ones who never leak anything and no one knows what's going on in that team. But the, the problem is is that for, for, for teams who are trying to work in total secrecy, and there are, there are ones that do. In Charlotte, I think um, it's, it's a little bit more challenging than others, but I think it's always possible to try to reroute and reconfigure what a team's line of thinking is by looking at every situation in the context of the overall marketplace. So with Charlotte at two compared to, you know, Portland at three and, you know, they're going to be teams who are calling both teams trying to figure out what the trade valuation is of each of those picks. Or you got players and their people and their college coaches and their agents and financial advisors who all have vested interests in them going two and three and they're sharing information. So, it's kind of about like looking at all different vantage points of each situation and just asking as many people as you can what type of little context they can they can provide and hopefully piece by piece you start to be able to put together the bigger puzzle. Jake, could one of the Thompson twins be actually good enough to persuade the Hornets to trade down? 
I mean, they're there, so clearly they're giving them a shot. I think Cam Whitmore is also going to be someone they bring in and really look at. But from every talent evaluator I've spoken to, any scout that's been doing this for a while who's a Penny Nitrus, you'd be kind of crazy not to take one of those two guys. Whether there's some type of medical red flag that comes up or if Brandon Miller's background and his incident with you know that gun charge and that old um, unfortunate event that led to someone's death in Alabama. Like if that's too much for this, you know, typically conservative front office to bring in, when you also have to factor in, they're most likely going to be re-signing and bringing back Miles Bridges in some capacity after he obviously sat the year following some pretty dark domestic violence allegations. That could be something that weighs their way. So. Could those things ultimately push them in a different direction? Maybe, but from a pure basketball talent standpoint and what these prospects bring, what they can do, and how they're projecting, it seems pretty clear that Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are going two and three in some order. And we've seen different things about the fit, and we know if they decided to go with Brandon Miller, and let's say they kept Terry Rozier. So Terry and Scoot are both 6'2 combo guards, but where do you feel like the Hornets would upgrade from having a, a proven veteran like Rozier to a young guy like Scoot besides the youth and the salary that they make? Yeah, I mean, as much as Terry's name has come up a lot in trade talk over the recent years from the people I do know in Charlotte, they're all pretty high on him as a locker room guy, as someone who can both be a stretch shooter when he needs to move off the ball. And if someone like obviously Lamella, but the minute they've been able to give James book night to give other young guards like McGowan's opportunities to play in, you know, the stretch run of last season, that, that ability to be versatile and provide different looks for them. They like, but I think also the fact that he has been such a good veteran presence for that group is something that I, I don't think the Hornets take lightly. Jake Fisher joining us right here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Jake, I did want to ask about another player you actually just mentioned. Miles Bridges, still not signed with the Charlotte Hornets. We do know about the suspension for him. 30 games, including 20 from last year. He'll miss the 10 next games coming up at the start of this upcoming season. Do you expect Miles Bridges to be back on the Hornets roster? And if so, is there any sense of an expected contract value? I do expect him to be back. That's something that from it, that was one of the consistent words that came up at the combine in Chicago in midnight, so about three weeks ago. Um, and all along, I mean, there hasn't been a ton of belief that other teams would be trying to really be creative and aggressive and, and, and bringing him on after uh, what unfolded off the court last summer. So I think the second part of the question. I would expect he's going to get something of four years. I think they'll give him a legitimate long-term second contract off the rookie deal that the team would have given him prior to all of what has unfolded. But it's not going to be – I really don't believe it'll be close to the maximum salary he was going to be coveting. Um, I mean, this time last year, if, if he didn't have missteps, let's say, and just stayed in Charlotte and it was – locked in the gym and working out last year, he would have signed probably a five-year, I forget what the number was off the top of my head, but something close to 180, I believe. Now I think, this is making an educated guess, I think somewhere for 100 would probably be the maximum range I could see him getting, something along those lines. 
Well, and, and not even just the NBA draft with the number two overall pick. Plenty of storylines surrounding this organization, including the report that we got Michael Jordan might just sell the franchise or at least a majority sure. stake. Gabe Plotkin, also Rich Schnall, reportedly a couple of the uh, of the guys that might be intrigued with this organization. But where do we stand on that as you see it right now, Jake? I mean, when could this thing happen where Michael Jordan sells a majority stake? Um, is that still a little bit further down the line? You know, I wish I had more updated info for that mm-hmm. on you guys. I, I definitely asked someone this week, and I talked to someone about it who suggested to me that maybe things could pick up steam as the draft gets closer just because, by all accounts, Rick Schmall was someone who was pretty involved in the basketball operations in Atlanta, and if they're about to take over this asset that in totality is likely going to be valued at over $3 billion, you think the number two pick in a draft with these top three you know, type talents that everyone has been talking as, as a, such a surefire consensus, like we mentioned earlier, you'd think you'd want to have some, you know, presence from that new ownership group in the war room come draft night. But at this point, I, I don't have anything more concrete for you guys, unfortunately. No, you're good. Jake Fisher with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, senior NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Jake. L. Fisher and Jake. So going back to these prospects and they talk about the leadership of Scoot Henderson and some of the qualities he has in that respect. Just are those type of traits just what a locker room like the Hornets need? I think so. I mean, look, there has not been a true development of a winning culture in Charlotte right now. And that can get a little overblown, um, I think, from critics of rebuilding type situations. But if you look at what the Oklahoma City Thunder did this season, a lot of people there credited their success and their jump into the play-in tournament for establishing like groundwork and fabrics of what they wanted to do and winning tendencies in, in years prior. And sure, they, the, the Hornets have made their own appearance in the play-in last year, but there, there, there haven't been like a consistent building of tendencies and winning tendencies where. Remember that last year under James Borrego, this was not a shot at Borrego at all because I think it's more of a reflection on the young, inexperienced personnel that Charlotte has. They were 0-7 in overtime games in the 21-22 season. That's a number that sticks in my head when it comes to like the, the a crunch time game, the score is knotted, the pressure is on, and they were not able to deliver in that staggering streak. It's something that's going to take time to grow and having someone like Sue Henderson who scouts and people who've been around him all talk about very highly from a maturity standpoint, a winning standpoint. Yeah, it could pay big dividends. If the Hornets do decide to trade this pick in an alternate universe, so to speak, who should be their number one target? Oof. I mean, to get someone who should be their number one target, they're going to have to add more than the number two pick, whether that's future picks or some young talent already on their roster. Like, because Portland right now at three, for them to get someone like Pascal Siakam or Bradley Beal, those are kind of the names that people in the league are, are, are looking at as potential, you know, upper talent level, but actually available players. They're gonna, the Blazers are going to have to put three plus Anthony Simons plus other things on, on, the, on the board. So Charlotte would probably have to give up more players as well. But, I mean, look, if, if they really were dead set on going – big fish hunting, and who could they get with a number two pick, even if they had to add more? The call has to be to New Orleans and see if they're willing to listen on Zion Williamson. I, I would think a Carolina guy who hasn't exactly had 
a straightforward situation for himself with the Pelicans, that would be my first call. Zion Williamson and all the Twitter. You're, you're telling me the twi- <laughs> does the Twitter thread come with it, or can we put that in the contract that there's no more of the Snapchat? I think there's always opportunities to get creative. (laughs) (laughs) That's a clause, man. No more Snapchat messaging for Zion Williamson. I did want to ask you one more thing about a free agent here, Jake, before we got you out of here. P.J. Washington, really interesting situation there, too, because we know that he was seeking reportedly around $20 million annually. We do know that P.J. certainly defensively plays a big part with this team. Do you expect him to come back to Charlotte? And so I'll ask you something similar with Miles. What do you see with the contract value there? I think he'll be back if there's a team that throws an offer sheet at him that's around four years, 60. I think the closer you get to 20 million, that would make Charlotte start to have to hesitate being that they are going to pay bridges in all likelihood to some capacity. Um, they want to bring back Dennis Smith to what I've been told. And LaMelo is you know, extension eligible and barring some drastic tenor events, he's going to be getting a lot, a lot of money. Sure enough, this is going to be an expensive team in the blink of an eye. And yeah. I, I think that's part of where uh, a cap probably lies on TJ's number for Charlotte. But I, off the top of my head from just putting together the pieces, I'd say something in that range, Charlotte would have no problem matching from what I believe. Any teams you expect to give PJ an offer sheet outside of Charlotte? I don't have like an updated list for you, but one thing I'll say is Miami has always been a team that's been linked to him and having interest in him. And clearly it's been shown in this finals, the fact that they needed to put Kevin Love, they got on a buyout in their starting lineup to combat Denver size. So they've been looking for a four-man next to Dan on a buyout all along. And if PJ could be that guy, maybe he also can play some backup five and Dan goes to the bench. That could be an interesting addition for them. I could see it. It's great stuff from Jake Fisher. Covers the NBA for not only Yahoo Sports, not only No Cap Room, also Ball Don't Lie. He even wrote a book, Built to Lose, how the <laughs> NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. You can. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it, Jake. Uh, follow this guy on Twitter at Jake L. Fisher. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.